We are so grateful you are here today, and we are ending a journey we started uh, about a month ago, and it, it all kind of re- revolves around this must-do list of Jesus, and here it is on the screen. All the stuff in red, the stuff Jesus kept saying over and over and over again, must be done by him. He said it months, years in advance. He said it repetitively. This is why he's here. And all the red right there, all that was done on Friday. We talked about Friday, a very significant day. But Friday uh, was all that stuff, and Saturday was nothing. Nothing got accomplished on Saturday. But that left one more thing, one last thing that had to be done of what Jesus came here to do on the third day be raised, and that was left for Sunday. There's a couple of unique things about that. Uh, One is that no one has ever done that before, to be in the grip of death and then come back from it, to be released from it and get away from it. That has never happened before, and so Jesus is unique, and no one's, it was so, it was so, uh, so sure in people's minds that this couldn't happen that even the disciples who heard this over and over again thought he must be talking metaphorically. He must be talking spiritually. And so they weren't even prepared for it. And yet that's the thing that he kept saying. But there's a second thing about it is that it was one of those things on his list that he himself could not do. Jesus could not rise from the dead. Someone else had to do that for him. He was dead. And so Jesus took a risk here. Everything else was in his control and in his his hands, and he did it, but he allowed himself to die and trusted that the Father really would speak into that darkness and raise him back up. And so the only two people in all of history had God breathe for them. Adam, that person, that person, the body was there, and God breathed in him to new life, and he became a living soul. And then there's Jesus, dead in the grave. And God breathes into his body, the, lift, the, the breath of new life, and he became a new, renew or living again soul. And that's what happened on that day, and that's the Sunday task that he had. And then what happened after that? I have a million questions about this. What did that resurrection body look like? And the resurrection body of Jesus, is that really symbolic of what ours will be or is it kind of a temporary thing while he's on earth we know that he couldn't die again we know that he was that he was there was something familiar they could recognize but then we also know that they were kept from recognizing him and it was just really i i just got i I don't know the answer to all that it's it's part of the questions i'm going to ask him face to face if i even care by then what it looked like and then the rest of the day went pretty pretty calmly here's the weird thing it What he did on that Resurrection Sunday was so subdued, he really should have had this gigantic press conference because what Jesus did was of great interest to every living person. It it related to everybody. Everyone is going to experience the resurrection because of what Jesus did. And so it should have been one of these real big press conferences where he announces, look at this, I'm back from the grave. But he didn't. It was very subdued that day. Yeah, his body began to breathe, and there's a a Phil Wickham song on, on Caleb, but you, we also have a version a cappella that we've sung here before. It has this great line in it, his buried body began to breathe. I love that buried body began to breathe, re- because it just pops, right? Because that's what happened. 
His body became animated. The organs started working again. And all of a sudden, here he is alive. And then an angel descends from heaven, and he makes the earthquake, because when, when some divine being like that comes down, and then he rolls the stone away. The guards who were assigned to protect that thing and to seal that thing were frozen in terror. That's all that we know how to describe that as. And then the women came, thinking they were going to anoint a dead body. And they were given two messages. Come and see, go and tell. That's the two messages. Come and see, make sure you understand he's alive, and then go and tell. And that's been the mission of the church ever since that day. Crazy, isn't it? Disciples are skeptical when they hear the women. The women, they said, they, they've told us some crazy things. Women in the first century were not allowed to be witnesses in trials because they weren't considered reliable testimony. A lot of things have changed, and a lot of things have changed for women's rights simply because of the Christian faith and giving full integrity to this created part of God's world. But back then, they weren't, they weren't considered credible witnesses. And so the disciples, oh, these crazy women have this weird... But Peter and John just couldn't resist, and they run to there, and they're told the same thing. Seven miles away, Jesus makes an appearance with two disciples, not the apostles, but two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Why these two, we don't know. But they're walking along, and their heads are down, and their hopes are dashed, and they're talking about the events of, and the women's report. These crazy women have told us this, and we just saw this on Friday. We don't know what to do. And Jesus comes right alongside of them. Their eyes are kept from recognizing Jesus. I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. And, and, and as they were walking along, Jesus says, What's wrong with you people? This is what was supposed to happen. And he gives this great sermon, one of the three sermons I want to hear in its entirety in heaven. God can show that beautiful resurrection footage or he can take us back in time and show me. I don't care, but he's this great sermon. And, and all of a sudden they, they beg him, don't go on, eat with us. And they eat with him. And the breaking of the bread, they recognize Jesus. Did you recognize him a moment ago when you broke the bread? Did you recognize him? If you have eyes to see, you saw him. And then they say, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was sharing that message? Oh, it's great stuff. Well, they just can't hold back. It's, it's a little late in the day, maybe. They got seven miles to go. You're going to do your seven-mile jog in the evening? They run back to Jerusalem as fast as they can. They join the other apostles, the apostles and other believers. I don't know how many in that room. And they're all in the locked room going, what in the world? All these various reports are coming. And then at a locked room, here comes Jesus, poof, right there in the middle of the room. And you guys, you, you, I, want you to, I want you to feel, touch, see, listen, watch closely. I'll even eat fish. He came through the door. I mean, there's weird things that happen. I don't know about all this, but I know he stands there in the midst and he preaches another message the same one all this was part of God's plan all along that's what happened on Sunday and if you've been a Christian for very long you know if you've had many Easter's in church you've heard every kind of resurrection sermon you can preachers have a challenge these people have been in church like Bill Harris for 130 years he's been at church on Easter Sunday He's heard every kind of facet of the resurrection you can imagine. So I'm just going to throw it up there. Here's all the sermons we've preached and can preach. The, because of resurrection, you can have forgiveness of sins. Yes, Friday 
Friday the blood provided, but y'all, he's the high priest who has to take that blood into the presence of God. How can he do that when he's dead? Well, he ain't. He's not dead. He lives again. He takes that blood in the presence of God in the real Holy of Holies, and he provides total forgiveness of your sins, all the sins you'll ever commit. That's because of resurrection, but that's another sermon. I, I go too long. It empowers your baptism. When you, are a ch- when you become a child of God and you're buried in the waters of baptism, that action right there, that action is, is how God chooses to save you. But the only reason it has any validity is it's backed not by water, it's backed by resurrection. It enables Jesus to continue making intercession for you. While it is finished on Friday, it's his earthly work that's finished. He's making intercession for you right now. The resurrection Jesus is still making intercession for you, which is why you end every prayer with in yeah, amen, for sure. But what's the lines before that? In Jesus' name, he's, he's like going to the Father with your request. He can still do that because he's alive. Okay, fully validates his lordship. He was not Lord until he rose. Now, he was all sorts of things. It's just kind of like Randy Carlton wasn't doctor until he walked across that stage, right? Now, he was the same dude, but he ain't. You know, he's not fixing anybody till after. I don't know why. It's, but that's the way it was with the resurrection. Fully funds our faith. He defeated death, gave victory over our enemies, assures us of judgment and eternal life. All that stuff. That's, but, but, but all that is going to be understood and unpacked over time. On that Sunday, that day, of the three most significant days, there's two things most important to Jesus. And over and over again, he says, on this day, this must be settled. This must be decided for you. Number one is this. He did rise from the dead. He did rise from the dead. That same body that was beaten up on Friday and was laid buried on Saturday is the same body that they see on Sunday. Same one. This is apologetics, and this is important. This is the culmination of his must-do list. If he doesn't get here... It's not done. And I think he knew, and I think God knew, that throughout history, people would put their spin on this. If you ever watch Fox News, you ever notice they got a spin? Does anybody notice this spin? You watch CNN, it's the same news that's reported, but it's got a spin on it. And men have put spin. People have put spin been on this resurrection moment they're going to say things like this well he swooned or someone stole a body or they were hallucinating together or whatever or it's spiritual he rises again in your hearts and he lives forever in your memory that ain't good enough That is not good enough, and that's not what happened. That body breathed again. Those organs functioned again, and he came back in that same body to let you know he has defeated death. And in Revelation, he says, I am the Lord who who has the keys to death in Hades because I went in there, robbed it, and got back out. It's an amazing story, right? And it's crazy. Part Part of our apologetics is that the most surprised people, the people most taken aback by the entire thing were his disciples. They couldn't believe it either. Even though he told them over and over again, they were the most shocked of anybody on earth, and they, they take forever to come around. It was unbelievable. Death claimed a victim, and that victim got away. 
And we need to know, church, and we need to proclaim every, every, every Lord's Day. There was an empty tomb left for inspection. But there was a body found. It just wasn't dead. It was animated. It was breathing. It was functioning. And he showed that body over and over again because he knew this is what gives the entire message its credibility. This you must know. You must not doubt. You guys are going to preach this for the rest of your lives. And then you're going to take a pen and you're going to write it down. And you're going to make sure that people in 2023 have the benefit of knowing this was absolutely true. And it gives meaning and credibility to every single thing Jesus taught and who he was. And it gives every bit of your hope it's reality it is back there and it's important and you've got to know it and you're going to die for it guys your bodies are going to die because you're claiming my body arose but don't you worry about it because your body will arise too i'm going to raise you up on that last day it all matters and so they had to say we saw it we touched it we were able to witness the whole thing and we're counting on it and if we're wrong about this sell the building and go home because none of what we do makes any sense you better be convinced of that and jesus made that the message of the day see i'm going to eat it's a body but the second thing is he had to interpret it for them Because they weren't capable without interpretation of understanding just what exactly this was. He didn't lay out what all happens as a result of the resurrection. He's just saying, I've got to to do that. I've got to show you that, and I'm going to explain this to you. On the road to Emmaus, well, notice what John says first. The other disciple... John, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and he believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture. Peter didn't believe yet because he didn't understand the Scripture. Without understanding Scripture, you will not see resurrection. You will see a body in front of you, but you won't understand who that is and why he's there. You've got to understand it. So on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples are walking along, and here's what Jesus comes along and says to them. You foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Prophets, all the prophets talked about this. Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. He gave, he gave them a grand scope of the entire story of God and said this was always God's plan. You've got to know that or you won't see him clearly. You've got to see it, know it, and then you've got to interpret it. Now, later on, as they're in behind locked doors, he comes and he says this. This is the second run at this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and now he includes Psalms, the writings. It's all pointing to these three days, and in particular, this day today, Sunday, he says. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Only now can it be proclaimed, because only now is it fully done. you got to understand how it's the culmination of the entire story. And we live in a time where people don't understand this, and so... This morning, let me take a crack at it. 
What did Jesus talk about in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the writings? I think he began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who were given a law from God and also a penalty if they didn't, and they broke the law and they experienced the penalty, right? And in the, in the process of dishing out what was going to happen as a result of this, he says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, saying this to Satan really, and the woman, and between her, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Now that's a little weird, we don't think this way, but in the Jewish mind they're thinking there's something that's going to happen as a result of a woman giving birth and is going to go against Satan. Here's what's going to happen. Something Satan does seems to overcome this seed of a woman, but, but, but unknowns to Satan somehow, he then turns around and crushes him. That's a little bit weird, right? We don't understand what that is, but, but Jesus begins to say to them, do you know what that was? That's what's happened this last Friday through Sunday. Friday, it looked like he had the upper hand. I was bruised by him, and I turned around on Sunday and crushed his head. Now that preaches, y'all. Doesn't it? I just hit the pulpit. That preaches. That's a story you need to know. And then just, just a little bit after this, watch this, what happens. And God made the man, for Adam and woman, uh, uh, garments of skin and clothed them. They should have been killed, but he delays that, right? He delays that kill. Now, they're still driven from the garden. They can't, they can't have access to the tree of life and live forever. But they aren't killed immediately because he puts, he puts a garment of skin. What's required to have a garment of skin, you hunters? Death. Something had to die to allow them to continue having some kind of life and relationship with God while they were driven from the garden. Man, that's, I can see them saying, well, we didn't really see that. Was Abraham called on here? Abraham, we're told, was as good as dead when God blessed them with having a child when he was a really old man. Good as dead. But he brought forth this life. And then, after he brought forth this life, God said, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to kill him. The one thread that would lead to the fulfillment of the promise, very narrow, narrow way of fulfilling his promise, and he's going to kill it. And it says that Abraham loaded him up. They went traveling for three days. And on the third day, he looked up and he saw the mountain God chose. And he said to the people traveling with him, y'all stay here, we're going to go up there and we're going to worship and, after, and we're going to come back to you. And he goes up there and he proves that he is willing. He is willing to put that knife on the throat of his son for the sake of his God. And God stops him, so I'm going to provide you a substitute. Because listen, I, I, you've proven your point, but let me tell you what, I think he's also foreshadowing. This is going to be required Someone is going to have to offer up their one and only precious son. But your son can't provide that atonement. But my son can. This is a foreshadowing of what's going to be required for Abraham's promise to be able to be fulfilled. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus says, that's what happened Friday. The father did plunge the knife into the son. And on Sunday, he brought him back. He brought him back and we have life again. This is the sermon he preached. And it's what made their hearts burn. And I want to know, does it make your heart burn to know that on that Friday through that Sunday, God did this and brought all this story into one clear focus. And from then on, we have pretty good clarity. Did he include the story of Joseph? 
Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament is very different from our own. It doesn't have to be straight line prophecy. It's also fulfilling, filling more full the stories that are there. And you've got Jacob, who's renamed Israel. He's the first one called Israel. And he lost his favorite son. You remember? He was dead. Brought back the coat of many colors with blood on it. He was dead and he thought he's gone, but he wasn't gone. He was in Egypt, just like his later offspring. Jesus would be in Egypt for a season. He went into Egypt and he did all these things that saved Israel and then provided God this grand, this grand redemption moment of all of Israel. And then later in his life, he discovered his son really wasn't dead. And he says, it's like I've received him back from the dead. Is that story a foreshadowing? Do you think Jesus used that in his sermon? I think he did. That's kind of what Jews would do. Even the stories that aren't directly prophecies are filled more full by the story of that Friday through that Sunday. Passover. Lambs. Lambs that had no significance morally, just morally neutral creation, slaughtered to provide the blood that would put on the door, and that judgment angel that went by left them alone and spared them. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. A festival established every year after that to remember that moment. And Jesus choosing that festival to re-signify the elements and call it himself, his own body, and his own blood. Is that not part of the story? Surely it's part of the sermon he preached that day. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, about the sacrifices, Leviticus, all those drudgery details about what you have to do with the blood of the animals in order to provide atonement for yourself. It's just crazy. We're all thankful every time we read it we don't have to do that. But do you know why we don't have to do that? Because Jesus did it for us, not only as the sacrifice, but as the high priest who offers it. Because the blood of bulls and goats never, ever, ever at any point forgave sin. It was just allowed to count until the real Lamb of God offered his blood. Do you think Jesus included that in his sermon? Surely he did. That was Friday through Sunday, the last sacrifice that will ever have to be made for the humanity, the sin of humanity, all on that Friday and that Sunday. And then this weird one, 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be unaware, but this is just crazy, y'all. This is all Moses here. I didn't make this up. This is Paul, so this is inspired stuff. Even Randy will tell you. Where's Randy? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm used to hearing him go, oh, yeah, whatever. You, you know, I want to be on. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I want you to get this. He said, Paul says, listen, listen, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. What rock? What rock? They're out in the wilderness and they're murmuring and complaining yet again that God's not providing as much as they want to. And, and what does he have them do? He has Moses strike the rock. And when he strikes the rock, it produces living water. And Paul later on says that rock was... Oh, come on, you're seeing on the screen, that rock was... It was Jesus. You struck Jesus. The only reason God provided the water... 
despite the fact that they should have been obliterated right then, it's because of the grace that he gave them through Jesus. And later on, as they transported that rock through the wilderness, they again needed it. And they, he said, this time you don't need to strike it. It's been struck. All you need to do is speak to it. And yet he struck him again. You're not understanding the nature of God. Once it's been struck, all you need to do is speak to. That was Jesus. On that Friday and that Sunday, he filled the account out of which the water came so many years before. We could go on and on. Next screen. Is Jonah not an obvious one? Now we're moving into the prophets. Jesus himself used this in Matthew chapter 12. I'm not going to give you a miraculous sign except the sign of Jonah who was three days and nights in the belly of the fish. I will be three days in the belly of the earth and it will show to you who I am. Is that like, I mean, you know, Jonah, dead, right? Eat by a fish, you pretty much count him as gone. Nope, spits him up on the end. He goes in and he saves an entire nation of people for a time at least because of the preaching he did. Is that not, is that not Jesus? Next screen. The most obvious one of all is Isaiah 53. For our, by his stripes we are healed. He was punished for our transgression. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. We talked about this. This was Friday, y'all, and put him to grief. This was Friday. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, that was Friday. And he shall see his offspring. He will prolong his days. That's Sunday. That's Sunday. That's all talked about in Isaiah 53. And this beautiful picture of uh, an innocent one suffering on behalf of the guilty. And it's just coming out of the Old Testament. It seems like on every Every page you could continue Psalm 16 David wondering how are you going to keep this promise to me of me being on the throne forever therefore my heart is glad my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure I'm secure in my flesh because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption this is the verse Peter picks up and preaches in Acts chapter 2 when he says this is Jesus he's talking about Jesus next screen Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? It ends with him being in the assembly of the faithful, proclaiming the name of the Lord. It goes from a forsaken, it goes through that to the gambling of his clothes away, to the thirst that puts his tongue to the roof of his mouth. It goes through all of that and ends with him being among the faithful, proclaiming the name of the Lord. That's Jesus. Right before Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Next screen. Things like the valley of dry bones, everything dead comes back to life. The promise of the offspring of David will always be on the throne. How does that happen? He is the line of David. A prophet like Moses will come out from among you and speak to the Lord face to face. That's, Mo, that's Jesus. That's Jesus, the son of God as a king in Psalm 2. And on and on we could go. We go into Job and that great question Job asks, how can the unjust be allowed to suffer and you be a just God? And God answers, everything I do has purpose, even unjust suffering has a purpose and later on when Job says listen am I going to come back to life and face my redeemer is that all going to happen and Job can only be understood properly in light of Jesus the unjust suffering for the just suffering for the unjust and then coming back to be the redeemer the whole Old Testament prepared for this moment and on that Friday through Sunday, everything God wanted was fulfilled in Jesus.
Every part of that story you hold in your hands with a Bible is this amazing, intricate story of God that culminates in three significant days in history. Sunday is the finale. All the shame and the pain of that death on Friday ends with restored, renewed life and continued intercession. It's a cause of intense relief for them and also unimaginable joy on that original Sunday, and it has been ever since. It's worthy of our meditation and contemplation. Maybe the reason why God tells us every Sunday, gather around this table and meditate on this. This is the centerpiece of your life. And when you believe it fully enough, you will be compelled by that word to join with that same death and burial and resurrection with your own. You'll name him from your lips as your Savior, and you will be immersed in the waters of baptism and rise to new life, not because the water has any power, but because the resurrection works through that. God allows it. You have everything you need for life and godliness. And then at that point, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have a new must-do list of Jesus. It begins with the same thing that ended his first list. Resurrection, red thing, that red thing up there, it's already happened. And it's going to lead to these other things, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to return. He is going to return. He's going to resurrect those people who are alive in Christ. He doesn't say what happens to the people who are not. That's for somewhere else. Resurrection of those who belong to Christ. We'll see him again. And there's this dramatic destruction of everything that stands opposed to God. And the last enemy, the worst enemy of all, is this death thing. It's going to be thrown. It's going to, death is going to die. And then Jesus, when everything is in submission to him, bows his knee before the Father and hands it all back to Father God. And he, along with us, submits himself to the greatness, the all and allness of God the Father. This is what remains to be done. And you see the X? That's where we are. We are after the resurrection, before the return. But we know what's coming. Like the disciples, they were issued a must-do list all the way through his ministry, and they just missed it. We've been issued a must-do list. Let's not miss it. They were taken by surprise. They were taken by surprise when they shouldn't have. And that's a warning for us to learn from them. Don't let this take you by surprise, church. Today, we celebrate the day that started the last days, and we review what we know every time we gather about what's coming. It started with his resurrection. It's going to end with our own. It's coming. And what happens that day depends on what you do in these days. Three amazing days. One coming day because all that in black is going to happen on one day it's a great reason to live faithful every day in between that was sunday and now we are living once again we're backing up we are living once again in saturday we're waiting but sunday once again is coming Sunday is coming. And all the groaning of living in a fallen world, all the groaning that comes when you can't even express your heart about the loss of loved ones and the injustice that you see, all that is going to go away. Sunday's coming again. Let's be ready for it.
And if there's anything you need to do, if you've never joined in the death, burial, and resurrection, this morning it's available to you. If you have and you've gotten distracted and suddenly where we are up there is a spot you shouldn't be at, let's get that right. And if you need the prayers of this church, we stand ready to receive you in that. But y'all, Sunday's coming. Let's be ready for it as we stand and as we sing.